Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We are in our series, we're in the fifth week of this series, Our God of Abundance. Our God of Abundance. And we've been walking through several scriptures, um, finding out just how true this is about our God, that he is our God of abundance. And and it even opens up the creation story when God created the animals and and, and the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the animals that roam the earth. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he created man. After he created all the world, he created all this for us, and then he made man, male and female, he created them. And he blessed Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Have dominion. So God has called us. He's created us for fruitfulness, for multiplication, and for filling up the earth. And and last week we talked about how uh, uh, populating the world is not a curse. It's a blessing. It is from God to fill the earth. Amen. Um, and, And the reason the flood came was not because there were too many people on planet Earth, it's because there was too much evil on planet Earth, that the, the evil that was in man's heart was, a, it says that, that the thoughts and the intents of his heart was continually on evil, and God had to do something about that. But Noah, thank God, Noah found grace <laughs> in the eyes of God. And remember this, I, wanna, I just want to help, help us all with something today, because maybe you, you grew up thinking that Noah was always good, but he wasn't. If he was good, then he wouldn't have got grace. Grace is undeserved. Noah was probably much like everybody else at that time, but that grace, when it came to him, it caused him to be righteous in all of his generation. See, it's by grace through faith that you're made righteous. Amen. Not by works of righteousness that you've done. No, God came to bring us grace. And I thank God Noah found grace in the eyes of God and therefore his family. And God blessed them. And then even after they came off the ark, after the the flood had taken place and they brought the animals off and, and the eight in Noah's family, God said the same thing he said from the very beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It is a blessing. And from Ephesians chapter 3, we've been looking um, from the, the 2015 version of the Amplified. I love the way this reads. Let's all just read this together. Ready? Read. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. Wow. According to his power, say his power. See, it's according to his power that is at work within us. See all that power? How described all that power super abundantly above all that we could dare, ask, dream, or think? According to his power, where is that power? It's at work within you. It's not somewhere out there far away. It's within you. To him be the glory in the church, oh, okay, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. So this is showing us that God gets the glory when his church lives in this super abundantly above all that we could dare ask or think or dream, reality. That's where God gets the glory because it goes beyond our own strength. It goes beyond our own education, our own ability, our own IQ, our own efforts. No, it's his power at work within us. I love this. And he says he's able. It's like God is just gone fishing. And he threw out this lure. I'm able. Yeah. 
Anybody going to catch this? Anybody going to catch this? I'm able. I'm presenting myself to you this way. Now, God is not just telling us he's able. You have to remember how this works with our God. His nature is if he's able, he's willing. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to know that God can. Really? Okay, well, that's great. God can. But how does that affect your life just to know that God can? Well, God's powerful. Yeah. Well, how's that helping you? I don't know, but I just know he's powerful. I know he's able to do whatever he wants to. Okay, good. But how is that helping you? How, how does that become personal to you? How does that become relevant to you until you understand and believe that as, as well as being able, he's also willing? Nobody, nobody, no believer in Jesus. This, this crosses all denominational borders. Nobody in, in, in faith in Christ dares to doubt that God can. We all believe he can because we believe he's God. God can do anything. But where the division starts is his willingness. And even more specifically, his willingness to do it for you. That's where the choke point happens many times. Will he do it for you? Will he do it for you? And you've got to answer that question. We, do you believe that, yeah, God can? Okay, I'm, I believe he's willing, but will he do it for you? Well, well, I hope so. Well, I'd like to hope so. No, no, no. He will. He will. God is no respecter of persons. You're all the same. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. There's, 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 we're, not, we're not bound by uh, physical labels any longer. Ethnicity, race, color, creed. We're not, we're not bound by that nationality. No, 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 no. We are all children of God through faith. So that is what the Father has, we get. What your brother and sister get, you get. I love this. How did that happen? That happened through a man by the name of Abraham. And Christ became a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, this is so powerful, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are there any Gentiles in Christ Jesus here today? I mean, we need to identify with that. Are you one of those people? Are you a Gentile in Christ? Then this is talking to you, isn't it? This is where you go, oh, that's me. It's, see, it's not them there in the scripture. It's you here in this room. All right, and the moment you relate to that and say, oh, that's me. That, okay, I take that personally. That's my word. You have been blessed with the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham has come to you, Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that you might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then the scripture goes on to say in verse 29 of Galatians 3, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is what Abraham gets, you get. The first time God showed up to Abraham in this way, presenting himself as the God of abundance, was in Genesis chapter 17. And he said, I am God Almighty, or Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Wow. Now, religious teaching makes that scripture sound like this. You've got to live blameless in order to walk for God, walk with God. But that's not what God said. No, he said, walk before me, and the result is you're blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Woo! 
How's that going to happen? Well, Colossians says it like this, that in Christ, see, we were outside of this covenant with God, us Gentiles. We were outside of this covenant. We didn't have a nationality with God. We were not the people of God. We were on the outside. We were without God and without hope in the world. That's what the scripture says. Strangers from the covenants of promise, but now by the blood of Jesus, we've been all brought near. Whew. We've been brought near by this blood. Where was that going? Well, that was good anyway. <laughs> How in the world did I go blank there? Okay. That's okay. I got a little bit more to say. We were strangers. We were on the outside, like I said. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him and seated us in heavenly places with Christ. When did that happen? While we were still dead in our sins. So that we couldn't take credit for any bit of righteous living that we do, that we have. Oh, Colossians, yes. That, that, that Colossians says that we have been blameless. We are now blameless above reproach. Holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. I don't know about you, but that does something to me. That messes me up a little bit. Because I know that if I mess up or I say something I shouldn't say or talk back to my wife, <laughs> that my thinking is God's kind of frowning at me. You ever felt like God was frowning at you? But he, he's not. See, in his sight, you're holy, blameless, and above reproach. Because he's not looking at you according to this flesh. He's looking at the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He's looking at that which is connected to him, that which is born of the Spirit. And that which is born of the Spirit has already overcome the world. Hmm. That which is born of the Spirit is one with God. And that's how he sees you, because of his Son who brought you near. Amen. So whose righteousness did you get? You got his righteousness. You got his righteousness. You're just like him. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, you're just like Jesus. Wow. Okay, let's, let's quickly go to John chapter 2. Oh, my goodness. And we talked about John chapter 10, verse 10, that says the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is what Jesus taught us about the thief. He's got a threefold purpose to steal, kill, and to destroy. He said, but I have come that they may have life and have, now see, the Bible, the, our versions do say have it more abundantly, but the word it is not in the original. It's italicized. It's actually have more abundantly. It's not about Jesus coming, I'm going to give you life and then more life and then more life and a whole bunch more life. That's not what it's saying. He said, I came to give you life, which is the antithesis to destruction and killing. And I'm going to give abundance in this life, which is the antithesis to him stealing from you. He's saying, I'm not, we're not on the same team. He's not your friend. He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's what I'm coming to do for you. This is how on your side I am. I'm here to give you life and abundance in this life. This is how he presented himself to us. He is the God of abundance. Wow, this is extraordinary. John chapter 2, the very first miracle we're going to see, the very first miracle, and we are serious Bible studiers here at One Cause Church, and we understand that there are there are certain things that we need to know, need to know about if we're going to be 
proper Bible studiers, if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, and one of those is the law of first mention. The very first miracle. Listen, Jesus said, I'm not doing anything that my Father's telling me not to do. If he says it, I'm going to say it. If he says to do it, that's what I do. I don't come on my own authority. I don't speak on my own authority. What he says to say, that's what I say. All right? So he is now the express image of God to us. Woo, God became a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now here he is. He's, he's going to present the first miracle. The first miracle is to keep a party going. John chapter 2, verse 1. Look at this. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. God bless Mary. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they had ran out of wine. Now I want you to notice something. It doesn't say they never had any. He said they ran out. What happened to it? They drank it all. They drank all of it. Okay? The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, if Jesus is going to be a good Pentecostal, <laughs> this makes me think he's a little bit Catholic. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I just growing up, I could just sense that we wish to God this miracle had never taken place. <laughs> so much God. Why did he have to turn water into wine? So then we just started making up stuff. Well, it wasn't real wine. Yes, it was. Go, go try to wish it away all you want. They ran out of wine. Mother of Jesus said, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, look what he says. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Is he telling the truth? Absolutely, he's telling the truth. He is the truth. My hour's not yet come. In other words, I'm on a schedule, and I'm on a mission, and there's timing in this mission. And, I, I, and the Father is not giving me permission to start the mission. My hour has not yet come. Watch this. This is powerful. His mother said to his servant, you heard him. You heard him. Party's over. Hmm? See, the Calvinist right here would say, well, God is sovereign. Apparently, he knows more. He said it's not his hour, so, you know. No, apparently, Mary's not a Calvinist. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. Like, she didn't hear a word he said. He just said, my hour's not yet come. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. Look at this. Now, there was set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. All right, let's just go on the low side. Let's say there were 20 gallons apiece. All right, so we have 120 gallons, at least. Next, Jesus said to them, ignore my mother. I said my hour's not yet come. What did he do? He said, fill the water pots. Wait a second, Jesus, you just said it wasn't your hour. Yeah, but somebody acted in faith, and I cannot ignore faith. The moment they believe, it became my hour. The moment they believe, it became my hour. You see how powerful your faith in God is? Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Next. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. I love this. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Ten. He said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the, what kind of wine? Let me ask you what the good wine is. 
Y'all responded to me just like the early service did. You went dead quiet because you don't want me to know that you know. (laughs) You're in in a safe place here. (laughs) What's the good wine? What makes it good? Age. Age? He just now turned it into wine. Oh, he turned it into good wine. Jesus took what would take maybe years and brought the best. He didn't just bring wine, he brought the good wine. I love this. He didn't have to bring the good wine, but he brought the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, which would be along the lines of young, young wine, or boons, The stuff you put the paper bag around. You, <laughs> you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11. This beginning. See that? This beginning of signs. His first miracle Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I mean, that, that kept the party going for Lord knows how long that went. But it, we know he made 120 gallons of good wine. Now that seems a bit excessive to me. And it is. But that's... The kind of giver he is. See, wine was the need. Wine was the need. This isn't Jesus just saying, everybody get drunk. That's not what he's teaching us. Wine was the need, and he's here to show us how God meets a need. Excessively, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. This is what he brought to them so that we could, the first miracle he wants us to see, hey, I supply your need according to my riches and glory. I'm not bound by natural laws. I'm of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That never ends. Ooh, isn't this good? Is this helping you today? All right, let's go to another place. Ooh, come on, holler, hurry up. Uh, I got to skip that. Oh, that's so good. I hate for y'all to miss that. John chapter 21. Oh, don't tell me that. I appreciate that. All right, go to John 6 then. All right. This will maybe take five extra minutes from what I was going to do. John chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to see another miracle. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now, first of all, a need was presented in John chapter 2, wasn't it? His mother presented the need. Right? They have no wine. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Did anybody present a need that they needed to eat? Nope. Jesus just saw it. He wanted to do something for them. Where shall we buy bread? And Jesus Seize their need. They, like I said, they weren't asking for it. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men set down in number about 5,000. Now, you have to understand there were some families represented here. There were some wives and there were some children, but the men were the only ones that were counted, and they counted 5,000 men. So we know there was 15,000, who knows? Then Jesus said, make people say, okay. And Jesus took the loaves, watch this, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, what's the next few words? As much as they Wanted. Yeah. 
My religious friends hate this. As much as they want, not, not as much as they need it, as much as they want it. I mean, Jesus just pulled out a buffet and let them eat and eat and eat as much as they wanted. Oh, man. So when they were... He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. This is interesting to me. Why are there fragments? Why all this ex excess? Why? Why are there fragments? Why? I mean, don't you, Jesus, you know how much they're going to want. You know how much, I mean, just do it perfectly. Why, why does he have to have stuff left over? Why this excess? Because this is how God meets our needs. Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Verse 13, therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. All right, so now we have 12 baskets of bread left over. This is extraordinary. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, truly, this, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, so now, where is the 12 basket? Where, why, okay, why did, he gathered it up. He didn't want anything lost here. He has 12 baskets. Where do you think that 12 baskets is heading? Well, who gave the lunch? And we have a, a, a promise from the Scriptures, don't we? Whatever you sow, given it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running. I can just imagine the reason there were 12 baskets because Jesus only had 12 carriers. If he had had 25 disciples, it would probably have been 25 baskets. But there were 12, and they all picked up a basket. Can you imagine this boy on his way home? He gets home and says, Mama, you're not going to believe what Jesus did with my lunch today. And they just start marching them baskets in there. That's beautiful. John 21, then we're through. John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Now, this is Jesus now after his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? All right, so he's done everything for us. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's on top, right? This is how he shows himself in John 21, right? Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Thanks a lot, Peter. I thought you were a fisherman. I thought you were, could guide us to the right place here. Nothing. But when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He is the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. All right? Next, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Wow. Work, 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 nothing. Jesus speaks a word. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on, not that took it off. He already had it off. He put it on and jumped in the water. Don't you love Peter? You're not thinking real straight, is he? He put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it and plunged into the sea. Verse 8, But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. 9, Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Let me ask you a question. Who's cooking the fish and the bread? 
This is how he shows himself after rising from the dead. I love this. You can do better than that, Jesus. I mean, you just overcame all of our enemies. You disarmed the devil. You took away all of our sins and Bring some of that fish over here. What is he doing? Come on, shoot lightning out of your fingers. Something. Show the world that you are God Almighty, Lord of the earth. Amazing to me. This tells me, I love this Jesus, how relatable he is. That he's perfectly happy being the Lord of all, being the King of kings and Lord of lords, to be a man, hallelujah, and to continue to identify with humanity. Grilling on the beach. <laughs> After all of that, here he is, looking his brothers in the eyes, doing what men do. I love this. Aren't you, aren't you grateful for Jesus? Because there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man. Christ Jesus, who's seated there. As long as that man is seated at the right hand of God, my family, all mankind has hope and hope everlasting. What does he do? He starts his ministry with a miracle of abundance and he ends his ministry. Look at this, verse 13. No, no, verse what? 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of what kind of fish? He didn't, he didn't put the small fish in there. He put the large fish in there. Does he have to do that? No, but this is how he meets a need. He fills the net with large fish. Wow. 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. So he starts his ministry with the miracle of abundance, and he ends it with a miracle. What message is God trying to get to you and I? Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. He has so much. To show us. He has so much to give to us. And he wants to be glorified in our lives in such a way that people can only say what my dear friend R.C. Shield says all the time. Look at God. Look at God. Look at God. Mm. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this covenant that was cut in the body of Jesus Christ who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he has borne our sickness and disease and calamity and malady and carried our pains. Surely he did it. And all we like sheep have gone astray and everyone have turned to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God blamed Jesus for our straying God blamed Jesus for our sin, and Jesus gladly bore the shame and the guilt and the blame so that we could be forever free from the tyranny of death and sin, but be overcomers by grace through faith. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And then this salvation, oh, what an abundant salvation and deliverance it is. 
that you do supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Help us, Lord, to be aware of this and stay aware of this, to confess this with our mouths and to believe it with our hearts. And, and Because, God, I'm, I'm determined to see this people not just knowing about it, but, Lord, living in it. Not just thinking about it, but living in it. Living in the realities of your promises. Living in the realities of your abundance. That that blessing of Abraham rests upon every one of them. That they are blessed and they will be a blessing, Lord. So that you receive all the glory and the honor. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, there are those who, here today who have needs, God. There are those who, here today who are, who are facing lack. Who are in debt. Lord, who have lack of health, who have lack of finances, who have lack in their marriage, Lord, they have, they have lack on their job. Father, I thank you that you are not intimidated by any situation here. You have the power to bless us despite our circumstances. So I'm calling on you, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient sustainer, to show yourself strong on their behalf and be glorified in their lives. Be glorified in their situation. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. All of this starts, all of this starts with believing this precious gospel, the good news of God that has come to us. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Whoever believes on him receive everlasting life. If that's you today, you don't have a relationship with God, right now I want to invite you to call on the name of the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture says you'll be saved. It's this simple. It's this simple. It's not, not, you can't earn it. You have to receive it by faith. It's a gift. It's a gift. So Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.